Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. The new year is around the corner, which gives us an opportunity to take inventory of 2020 as well as look forward to 2021. And I cannot recommend enough Douglas Wilson's productivity. Make 2021 the most productive year so far. Get it today at canonpress.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 173. It's good to have you here. I'm Douglas Wilson. I appreciate you uh, spending this time with me. Let's not waste it, right? Okay. I want to um, talk a little bit about a point that my friend Peter Hitchens uh, made, and he he may have been riffing off of Orwell, but I think this is uh, very important for us to internalize today. What is the point of propaganda? Uh, What is the point of propaganda? Don't people see through it? Well, uh, yes and no. The point of propaganda is not to persuade you that the claims being made by the big poster on the side of the building are true. The point of propaganda is to persuade you that resistance is useless. Some people are very simple and they are persuaded that, you know, they, they see 15 billboards that tell them to put on a mask. And they're at some point they're persuaded and they put on the mask, right? So they are persuaded of the truth of the claim that's behind that billboard. But there's another purpose. There's an, there, there, are, there are people who look at that claim, who look at the claim being made for Big Brother or the claim being made for whatever the official line is on climate change or the everybody wear a mask or everybody do this or everybody run over there. And look, the point is not to get you to believe it in your heart. The point is to get you to conform, okay? So the point is external conformity. The point is not to ask the propaganda poster into your heart. And that kind of compliance is the sort of thing that our masters, our lords and masters, uh, will settle for. Now, once they've got things well in hand, they will occasionally accuse somebody of a thought crime and haul them off to punish them for their thought crime. Uh, But that is simply to keep everybody else on their toes. In other words, the whole idea is to make everybody think that resistance is futile. Counter-argument is futile. Pointing out the errors of logic, well, that's futile. Why? Because every time you turn around, you're driving down another street and there's another sign. There's another, you know, the song back in the day said, sign, sign, everywhere a sign, blocking all the scenery, breaking my mind. So. It's astounding that we have gotten to the point where people are being steered, placidly steered by propaganda the way they are being. And you say, how how did this happen so quickly? How did this happen so quickly? I think of a, a comment that Chesterton made somewhere where he said that someone who doesn't stand for something will fall for anything. Someone who doesn't stand for something will fall for anything. And that's the situation we're actually in right now. Basically, a Christian knows that resistance is not futile. A Christian knows that when we confess that Jesus is Lord, uh, his lordship is going to overcome. 
And the reign of Caesar, or whatever petty tin pot Caesar is uh, claiming to be currently in charge, we know that that rule, that reign, that administration is doomed to failure. And so the whole propaganda machine, which is dedicated to persuading you that it's not doomed to failure, is something we can see through. Christians of all people ought to be impervious to the real point of propaganda. So if the propaganda poster says, up is down, down is up, grass is pink, you know, whatever it is, and they're telling you this, a lot of people think that they're worldly wise and they're sophisticated if they just think in their own minds, grass is not pink. I don't believe it. Well, refusal to believe what they're saying is not real resistance because then they never really expected you to accept everything that they were saying. What they were doing is expecting you to conform. And so consequently, in order to not let propaganda have its way with you, you have to have the seed of resistance in you, which is the hope of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to prevail. The kingdom of God, the earth is going to be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's what gives us hope. And if we have that kind of hope, that's what gives us antibodies to fight off the infection that is brought to us by every form of propaganda. So, we are in episode 173 of the podcast, and we come now in our hamartiology section to the word that refers to the sin of murmuring or grumbling. The word is a great one. It is gonguzo, gonguzo, G-O-N-G-G-U-D-Z-O, gonguzo. The first instance is where Jesus tells the parable about the workers in the vineyard, Matthew 20. And when they had received it, they murmured, there it is, Ganguzo, they murmured against the goodman of the house. Remember the parable where Jesus told the story about the man who went out and hired different workers for his vineyard at different times of the day? He told the people that he had hired at the very first what he was going to pay them, and they said, it sounds good to us. And then he hired some people to work the last hour of the day. And he paid them first, and he paid them what he'd promised the first group he would pay them. And then when they got up to the pay table, they got what they were promised. Well, they murmured, gonguzoed at the uh, goodman of the house. And he said, uh, this is a great parable aimed at envy. And the Lord tags the sin of grumbling over this disparity. What they're grumbling over is, you've made us equal to these people who just worked an hour. And we worked all day. Well, that murmuring is a sin. On another occasion, the Lord's behavior provoked that kind of murmuring. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? That's Luke 5.30. So, Jesus is eating with publicans and sinners, and this caused the Pharisees to grumble about it. They murmured against the disciples. What are you doing? What are you doing? And then in John 6, we see that it was the Lord's teaching. So, right above in Luke, it was the Lord's behavior that provoked the grumbling. In John 6, we see it's the Lord's teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood that did it. So, uh, there's three, three places in John 6 that talk about this. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. 
John 6.41. So the Jews murmured at him. It's interesting that the Jews in the wilderness also murmured over the bread that came down from heaven. They Remember, they got sick of it. They said, this, all we have is this bread. It's coming, you know, good grief. And um, they murmured about the bread coming out of heaven. And then Jesus, uh, who is the bread from heaven, identifies himself as the bread from heaven. They murmur at him over that. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, this is verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. So he tells them not to grumble about this. And then in John 6, 61, about 20 verses later, almost 20 verses later, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? So Jesus is teaching them hard sayings. He says, he is the bread of heaven. He is the life of the world. You have to eat his body and drink his blood if you want to be saved. And that difficult teaching caused them to stumble. So he says, don't murmur, don't murmur, don't murmur. And then this was the sin that the Israelites fell into in the wilderness and which Paul warns the Corinthians against. 1 Corinthians 10.10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So they were grumbling in the wilderness and were destroyed because of their grumbling. They were destroyed because they were so disgruntled. Then there is one instance that is used in the um, New Testament that does not appear to be referring to anything sinful. Uh, This is in John 7.32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Here it appears to be uh, the Pharisees just picked up on the fact that people were whispering about Jesus, or they were talking about him, and the word of mouth was spreading. So it doesn't appear to have been a complaint against Jesus, but simply talking about him. So, episode 173 of the podcast. Thanks for joining me again. The book review I want to cover this time is a book on pastoral care called Concerning the True Care of Souls by Martin Bootser. Martin Bootser was the Reformed minister at Strasbourg. He had a big influence on Calvin. Uh, When Calvin was run out of Geneva, he went to Strasbourg and was taught and established, brought up to speed by uh, Bootser and then later returned to Geneva, where he, of course, had a worldwide uh, impact. Bootser wrote this book on pastoral care, concerning the true care of souls. Now, I just um, recently went through it, and uh, there were a number of uh, good common sense observations and healthy correctives from the slipshod pastoral care that had been offered to the people of God prior to the Reformation. And Bootser goes into detail in in addressing those abuses. And a modern pastor reading a book like this has to keep in mind that everybody, Roman Catholic and Protestant alike, at least the magisterial Protestants, the people like Bootser or the the Lutherans and uh, the Reformed, they had a very different view of where their parish work was located. So try to think of it this way. Let's just say that you are a pastor. And let's say that four or five of your pastor friends, all evangelicals, and let's say you've got thriving churches in a mid-sized American town, and all of a sudden there was some convulsion, some political, cultural, civic convulsion, such that the mayor and the city council 
came to you as evangelical pastors and said, we would like you to take pastoral charge of everybody in this town or everybody baptized in this town. And let's say it turns out that just about everybody's baptized, but they're a typical American town. And yet the leaders of the, of the city give you pa- responsibility for the pastoral care of everything. So you're not dealing with um, our modern American, what might be called a voluntarist or a denominational approach where uh, we have clubs that meet on Sunday and everybody who's in your club joined willingly, came voluntarily. So consequently, if you're one of the few churches that still practices church discipline, you are disciplining someone who volunteered for it, in effect. Uh, So this voluntarist system that we have is sort of baked into our DNA. And reading a book like this by Bootser makes you realize that you're dealing with people who are professing Christians, they're baptized, they're not Buddhist, so they're Christian in that sense, but they're unregenerate, untaught, ignorant, unstable, and and you're having to pastor them. Well, Bootser goes into great detail showing how you can pastor people like this, people in this condition. Uh, One of the things he talks about, and this really struck me, I don't quite know what I think of it yet. I've got to work through it. But remember that Bootser is a solid reformer, one of the big ones, one of the great ones. But he has a long extended section talking about penance. And he's talking about penance in terms of church discipline. He's not talking about um, you know, say 10 Hail Marys and then you'll be good. But he's talking about someone in the church or in the parish within the territory of the church who is caught doing something scandalous. You know, there's some there's something really bad, really big, really terrible. Okay. And and I have to be careful here with the illustrations because if I if I go too far, you know, let's say someone was caught having sex with an animal, for example. That's the sort of thing that would have gotten you executed in Bootser's day. So I can't have it be a sort of a grease fire sin like that. But let's say it's scandalous or it's really bad, uh, not so bad that it brings in the civil arm where you'd be executed, but it would be, uh, but it's bad enough, right? Well, Bootser talks about penance. And like I said, he's not talking about how many Hail Marys, he's, but he's talking about a time where the person is in Dutch, where he is under the penalty of the church. He's, the person has done something really scandalous, and Bootser, he really emphasizes and hammers away at, you don't accept the person saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and never do it again. Bootser says you don't really have any grounds for believing that. And so consequently, you need to uh, make sure that the repentance is genuine. And you need to make sure that this person does penance and is in a uh, is put in the penalty box for a stipulated period of time until everybody's convinced that the uh, the repentance is genuine. Now, Bootser's interest is to introduce genuine pastoral care and to not let people repent like they're ticking a box. At the same time, you can see how if you adopted that system, how it would over time turn into the 10 Hail Marys approach. Here's what you need to do to get out of Dutch. Nevertheless, the book overall is valuable concerning the true care of souls by Martin Bootser. I'll just finish with this. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, 
in his essay on the reading of old books, that reading people from another generation or another era is very much a blessing to us, not because they're free from errors, but because they don't make the same errors we do. And so consequently, we can see where they go astray more readily, but they can help us see where we've gone astray. This is a good book. Mm -hmm. 